this is a message and something that's been stirring in me a while that is going to be obviously pretty connected to this news. As you know, Brandon and Leanne, brother and sister-in-law, many of you know uh, my long-term desires and dreams to always have a a co-laborer vocationally side-by-side. You see it scripturally all throughout the Bible. Um, And so the beauty of what the last few months has been uh, and the content of this message on learning what it means to wait on God, especially for our dreams and desires. So if you would, uh, let's read Psalm 62 together. Uh, it'll be on the screen. You don't need to read it out loud, but would you follow along with me? So Psalm 62, it says this, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Salah. For God alone, O my soul, waits in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Verse 8, trust in him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Salah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In in the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love for you will render to a man according to his works. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our rock and our salvation, that you are our confidence, you are our refuge. We don't need to look to other powers or other places of provision or other peace. You are the truer power, providence, provision, and love that we need. So Father, we come to you We wait on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today we're starting uh, our Summer in Psalms series, where over the next eight weeks, we're going to be going through different psalms and different teachers each week, walking through some psalms. And so there's actually a few resources that I want to draw your attention to that our goal is to allow this to be a more robust, full opportunities to go into 
our hearts and our emotions. The Psalms are phenomenal, amazing. This, a lot of people call this the language of the heart. At expressing every different imaginable emotion that there is. Psalms are what was true of that person in that moment. They're not necessarily prescriptive of you need to be like this in every moment of your life. So, for instance, the imprecatory psalms or the psalms when you're calling people to smite your enemies. That's not necessarily a description of how you are to be at all times of life. But it does give a glimpse to the robust reality of what human life is like. And so that's what the Psalms do. They bring us and give us language of the emotions of our hearts. And so uh, two things that I want to draw your attention to before we dive into the text. The first is, and you all have, or on every other seat, there was a few documents. The first one is this half sheet that's a little booklet. On the front of this is a reading plan where you can read all the Psalms in the next 60 days. Um, So that's roughly three Uh, Psalms a day, uh, it actually averages out to being 41 verses a day. So if you read 41 verses of scripture in the next 60 days, you will have read through the entire uh, collection of Psalms, all 150 of them. And so on the front of that is a description of that. It just gives you the day number. So if you begin today, you will be done by August 31st. So I encourage you, engage the Psalms, read them, listen to them. But then secondly... I want to also encourage you to write your own psalm. So on the inside of this is a little bit of a description on how to write your own psalm. Uh, Why I'm doing this and why I'm encouraging this. uh, We in America are very uh, what we call left brain. We're very logical. We're very technical. It's much more theology. But God has wired us to be more than just logic. We are also emotion. We are also being. And so to write a a psalm is to take those thoughts and logics and put it to paper in a raw, honest expression of what's going on in your heart at that moment. And so what I and that could as you see in this psalm, this is a psalm of confidence This is a psalm of Psalm 62 where things are going really well and you're praising God. Writing a psalm around that is a glorious, glorious thing. And as we'll see, there's also psalms that are more sad. There's psalms of lament or there's um, there's psalms that bring us to the complaints of God towards God. And so what this does is gives you just a, a little bit of a description of how to do that. The full page document, this is from a person named Adam Young. He's a a well-known counselor that we've utilized uh, some of his resources in the past. This does a much better job of giving you actual step-by-step on how to do that. We've also directed you to two of his podcasts in this that I would encourage you to um, listen to if this is something that you want to do. Those two podcasts were like released March of 2020. So it was right in the thick of COVID. You'll hear him talk about that a little bit, about all the whirlwind that's going on. But I want to draw your attention to that, to kind of capture the fullness of what the Psalms can do. It's to learn to not only read them and engage them, but to write your own. So 
Here we are, Psalm 62. Uh, This is a, a psalm of confidence. This is a psalm that expresses in the midst of waiting and adversity. So we see verses three through four. David, this psalm's author, this is in the time of his life where he's on the run from Absalom. And he's talking about his enemies and he's talking about their wickedness. And in the midst of their chasing him, in the midst of them planning to thrust him from high places, them having blood, uh, them cursing him, he is still saying, verse 2, God alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I will not be greatly shaken. So while all that's going around him, he's still saying, I have trust in God. And verse 8, kind of the pinnacle of this passage, he tells other people to do the same. Trust in him at all times, regardless of what's going on. He's saying, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. That's what writing a psalm is. Pouring out your heart before him. Not the neat, tidy explanation of how it may sound to other people. The rawness of what's going on. And what does it say? Trust God and pour out your heart. Where you can get to the point where it says, God, I don't, and this isn't theologically accurate, but this is emotionally true. I hate those people, smite them. Where you can pour out your heart that way. Does that mean that that part of your heart doesn't need to be gospeled? No, it probably does. But you need to be able to get there in order for God to bring good news to that. So to pour out your heart before God. And then it says God is a a refuge for us. So there's confidence here. And the end of the passage, uh, towards the end, excuse me, there's other options that the author's talking about putting his trust in. I mean, this is talking about finances. He's, he's saying, hey, if, I love what it says in verse, at the end of verse 10. If it, riches increase, set your, not your heart on them. Like all these other things are going to be fighting for you to be, have your confidence in. For you to be at rest. And for many of us, if our bank account is going up or at least maintaining, we could rest well and And what he's saying is, hey, if that's happening, don't put your hope in that. Don't set your heart on seeing that happen. Where should it be? And this is where he closes in confidence in verses 11 and 12. He's in God's providence. The power belongs to God. Provision belongs to God. And then verse 12, he says to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. You are the source of love. You are the source of his confidence. And so David, even on the run, even when he's in a dark spot, is expressing confidence in God. And this snapshot of his emotional world expresses confidence. Beautiful. And if all of us are honest, we'd all be like, man, I I aspire to that. I want to get there. I want to be able to say... That in God alone, my hope is from. Right? We like, we come on Sundays. We live on mission. We're in our DNA groups. 
We're working all this gospel out in everyday life, and we want to be able to say, yeah, that's true of me. But what happens when we are not confident in the way that David is confident right here? What, when it feels like God has spoken and promised, and yet his timing is just a little bit off. It's like, okay, God, you said this. Silence. What happens when you're in the midst of suffering and trials and you don't express the confidence that David expresses here? Where you don't emotionally experience or at the moment fully believe that God is your refuge. That you want to trust him You want to pour out your heart before him, but there's something that's just holding you back from doing it fully. Or maybe you're you're waiting on relationships. There may be relationships in your life that are needing to be reconciled. There is brokenness, and you're just wanting that reconciliation. Maybe it's the start of a new relationship. The, man, I just... I'm, I'm longing for that person to come. If you're young, it may be a, new, a, a marriage or whatever it may be, wanting that relationship to come. And so what I want to do is I want to draw our attention primarily to one word that's spoken of two times in this passage. It's in verse 1 and verse 5. And it's the term wait. Wait. Uh, Brandon mentioned seek first, not this last week, but the one before that. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Seek First is our uh, worship nights. Uh, and it's not just a chance to come together for extended singing. But we also want to really take time to provide space for God to maybe give something to somebody so that it can be shared with other people. It's really us practically trying to live out the, the gifts of the Spirit we find in 1 Corinthians 12. And so when we were doing it a couple weeks ago, we had that. And we're trying to encourage people, just, just share. Maybe a scripture that you want to share. And so as people started to share, there was three different encouragements that the Lord kind of gave. That as we've done this more, we're starting to notice like, wow, God said this to this person. And he said this to this, this person. And it's actually in line with one another. That there, there's like, oh, okay, there's commonality here. What's going on? And it was this idea. So this is a little bit of a building off of the, that time when we were encouraged about being patient in the midst of all that's going on. And so what does it mean to, to wait? How do you wait? And specifically, what does it look like to wait for your dreams and desires to be fulfilled? I'm connecting this specifically with Psalm 37, also a passage or a psalm written by David. Psalm 37 was written later in David's life. He's an older man at this time. He's no longer on the run. But this is what he says in Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Listen to this, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his ways, over the man who carries out evil desires. We're encouraged to be confident. We're encouraged to express that confidence, to be faithful to him, to commit our way to him, to trust in him. And yet, how often is our life more like the waiting period than the fulfillment period? When we're waiting on God to give us the desires of our hearts. And so today what I want to do is I want to ask this. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? And then secondly, how do we do it well? What does it mean to wait? How do we do it well? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, based on these psalms and other passages, the posture, process, and product of waiting. So let's first look at what does it mean to, for us to have a good posture when it comes for us to wait. In Psalm 37 and in Psalm 62, David used three different words that we all tra- we translate as wait. And this gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what it means about how we are to wait. So let's look first at Psalm 62. He uses one that is a little bit more passive in waiting. What does he say? In both verse 1 and verse 5, he says, wait in silence. Wait in silence. Now, when we think of waiting, we tend to think of this type of waiting, what I'll call passive waiting. It's like you're waiting at the DMV, right? You got a number, you're sitting there, you're not doing anything, and you're just waiting for your number to be called, okay? So, okay, just waiting. But notice, even this type of waiting is not completely passive because it tells you to wait in silence. When you look at silence throughout the scriptures, silence is not just about no noise. Silence is about engaging God removed from all the distractions that is going on in life. So this is hinting at the practice of silence and solitude that we've spoken on over the last year, a lot actually. If you've been on the journey to renewal retreats that we did for the men and women, we talked a lot about that and gave practices of it. We talked about it in the the fall. But if I can give some definitions, solitude, and this is a John Mark Comer definition, is intentional time alone to be with yourself and with God. Silence, in my definition, is shutting off the external noises so you can be present with God to the internal noises. So when it says to wait in silence, it's not saying just sit around doing nothing, twiddling your thumbs. What it's saying is wait on God and engage with God in a different type of environment than you're used to. Not just when you're driving around and not when you're going about life. Sit in silence and be present with God. Let him speak to you. Let him minister to you. Let him be the one that 
you can viscerally know that God is present. That's the type of waiting that he's saying here in Psalm 62. Wait in silence. Be present with God. But he gives two other types of waiting in Psalm 37. So uh, verse 39, and then I'll also read verse 34, is one type. It says this, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then Psalm 37, verse 34, Wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. But notice, wait, and there's a, a tinge of hope to this one. Like, if you wait, you're going to get something that comes out of it. If you wait, the evildoers shall be cut off, or he's going, you will inherit the land. This type of waiting, I want to give you a picture. I want you to think of a, a pregnant mother, okay? A pregnant mother who's nesting. Like, they're anxiously, I know we have some looking around at one another. They just find themselves. They just, there's like a pregnant radar. They're like, oh, you are too. Okay, cool. The, so nesting, there's, you're waiting, right? For those, for those that have had children, it's a waiting game. There's a, a, a period of about 10 months, 40 weeks, where you're anxious for a baby to come out. But you don't just sit there. A, a mother nesting is doing what? Cleaning, working, preparing. Like, you got to get the nursery ready. Husbands, you got to build the everything, like whatever it may be, to get ready. You're naming, you're having showers. There's a new thing since we've had kids called baby moons. Like, everybody goes on these baby moons where, like, where you're like, oh, we're going to have kids now. We're going to go away on this trip. I'm like, that's a great idea. You're like 13 years late for that, though. Like, that would have been fantastic. We could have done that. So there's all this preparation that's happening. And there's nothing that the mother can do to expedite the waiting, to expedite the process in a healthy way, right? You just got to wait. But there's this hope. There's this longing there's this desire that's coming. And so this is a, an active type of waiting. This is like if you're waiting for a job, you go and get the certifications required for that job. You go to school, you get the training, you apprentice. You're waiting for this dream job to come, but you're not sitting around waiting for somebody to Facebook message you. That they're going to, hey, I have this dream job for you. No, you're working towards it. Maybe a desire for a future marriage, wanting people, wanting to find the perfect spouse. So what do you do? You should get around people who are married, right? There's a, learn, read books, read stories, prepare your heart to be the type of man and woman who can lay down your life for the sake of others. There's preparation for that. Maybe desire to lead an MC or maybe be, uh, have some leadership responsibilities in God's family at some point. Deacon, elder, apostolic team, whatever it may be. Like, oh, I want to do that someday. Okay, great. Don't sit around doing nothing. Do something. Make a disciple in a DNA group. Set, start one up. Take initiative. You're, you're waiting it's not the time for you to do that yet. Your dreams aren't going to be fulfilled. Well, get started though. 
That's the type of waiting that David is talking about in this passage. There's a hope, there's a practice, there's an activity that's taking place. But there's another type of waiting, and that's Psalm 37, verse 7. It says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desire, devices. In English, we see, okay, it's just waiting, right? Like, it's kind of the same thing. But notice there's a qualifier there. What type of waiting is this? Patiently. Now, still imagine in your mind, pregnant woman, but no longer nesting. Now it's pregnant mother in the process of labor. Okay, one is more hopeful. Another, this one's more painful, right? This is the process of birthing something. This, this word has understandings of, of anguishing, of laboring, this active, painful process of seeing something come about. It's not this hopeful, yay, I get to staple up their name on a wall. This is now, get this baby out of me. Right? Anguish. Pain. Difficulty. This is the type of waiting, not just the silence and solitude, not just the type that's hopeful, the type that's painful, that's longing, anguishing for something to happen, desires to be met. And each of us, when we get to this point, because if you haven't gotten there yet, I'm pretty sure it's kind of like a, this is standard operating procedure for God's discipleship of his people. We all will face the temptation not to patiently wait. We'll face the temptation to push. Not for the, the baby to be born, but to push through God's timing. And you've, we've seen this Many times in scripture, I want to draw your attention to Abraham in Genesis 12. So think of, to the story of Abraham. Oh, we have a guest. Cool. Um, Genesis 12. What's happening in Genesis 12? Abraham is given a, a promise by God. You will be the father of many nations. Later on, he says, look up to the sky. Look at all the stars. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And so what's the problem of Abram at that time, 75 years old. He's like, how is this going to happen? But he believes God, and Scripture says it was credited to him as righteous. Fast forward 11 years. Promise still not fulfilled. He's waited, and nothing's happened. So what happens? His wife comes up to him and says, hey, I have this servant named Hagar, why don't you have a baby with her and that will be our, the promise fulfilled. So he bypasses God's timing. He pushes through it. And now Hagar births Ishmael, right? So what do we know about Ishmael? Well, there's three Abrahamic faiths or faith systems in the world that all point back to Abraham. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. 
How does Islam, you may ask? Oh, great question. I'll let you know. Islam, um, the descendants of Ishmael are the Islam faith. So, and so think of all the tension around those three faith systems in the world. All of that dates back to a couple who didn't wait well. They, they had an Ishmael. And if we're honest, we've all got some Ishmaels in our life. Some areas where God gave us something, God told us to do something. And instead of waiting on his timing, we push through and we create a, a problem that God ultimately uses to redeem us and others, but it was quicker and outside of the timing that God happened, had. So what's our posture when it's in waiting? We should be in silence and solitude. We should be, God, I, I just need your strength to kind of persevere. I want to give up. I don't want this anymore. I'm sick of waiting. It, we need to be ministered to before the Lord in those moments. It may be this hopeful waiting. Yes, I'm excited. There's, God's going to do something. There's a lot of faith being built. Awesome. Be active in that. Prepare. Work. Nest well. And then there's this painful one. Where do we, what do we need in the midst of the painful waiting, it's, it is waiting longer. But what we need to know is what's actually happening in the midst of waiting. What's, if we're to have this posture, how do we overcome the temptation? We need to remember that the process that God is doing in the midst of waiting. God knows that we need a stall of our soul to be the type of people that can receive his promises. So many of you know, uh, Trigger Thursdays, something that we've done um, over the last couple years. Um, as I share this, I'm going to say that I'm a smoker. Just to be clear, we're talking meat, not tobacco products or other products in our day. Okay. So as a smoker, you, um, and early on, I remember the first few times I did some larger cuts of meat, okay? So smoking is different than like grilling, right? Or a barbecue. You just put, pop those steaks on there, you get it to temp, you're good to go. Smoking is a much different process. It's the low and slow game. And I remember the first time I did some large cup, cut of meat. So think of like a brisket or a pork shoulder, okay? So if you're vegetarian in here, I apologize if you're Jewish and I'm talking about pork, I'm sorry. Let me introduce you to Jesus so you can have bacon, okay? So these two big cuts of meat, doing that. And I remember you put them on there, 180, 225, depends on how slow you want it to go. And I remember the temperature going up really fast. And everything I heard up to that point was, oh, this is gonna be like a 16, 18 hour process. And you just gotta give it time. But I'm looking at the temperature gauge and I'm like, wait a second. It's like exponential all of a sudden. But then you get to like 150 degrees. And all of a sudden, 
the temperature gauge that's going up flattens. And sometimes it even ticks down a little bit. And you're like, wait a second. That, what was just happening? What happened? And if you're a new smoker, the temptation is something's going on. Something's wrong. I'm just going to turn up the temperature and get my way through this, get through this process, get there quicker. But this is called the stall. So what's happening in the stall, I'm going to give you a little smoking introduction. The, all the moisture is now being released from the meat. And so you're, you've reached an equilibrium between the external temperature and the internal temperature. And all the evaporation is happening. So the internal temperature is not going to go up. But it's about what's happening inside the meat that's the goodness. Because if you can have an okay pork shoulder and an okay brisket if you turn up the temperature and ride through the, the stall. But if you let the stall do its job, it's amazing. Two things happen particularly. The collagen, so our Costco pickup, you often get, you see all the collagen stuff right there. Why do we take collagen? Because arthritis and sore joints, you need to strengthen the joints, right? Well, the exact opposite's happening in the stall. The collagen is actually being softened and becoming more like um, gelatin. So that texture, that mouth-watering texture, you don't get it without the stall. But not just that. This is the glory. The fat is being rendered. And you're like, what does rendering mean? Liquefied. That's all it means. All that fat, because those are really, especially a brisket, thick, heavy tissue, like hard, rough cuts of meat. All that fat is being liquefied. And you know that I'm starting to drool just thinking about this, okay? <laughs> All that mouth-watering goodness that comes from a brisket. Like you watch the Instagram, you just see it perfectly. You see it tender. Mmm, oh, just so good. That All that smokiness, um, all that goodness. You don't get the goodness of that brisket without the stall. It doesn't happen. You can expedite it, but it's not nearly as good of a product. It's mediocre. And then you can start comparing. You're like, oh, they, they pushed through the stall. Or they did this. What's happening in the midst of waiting is what I'll call a stall of the soul. Early on in our Christian walk, it, you, like, it's amazing when you see a new believer come to faith and there's like rapid growth all of a sudden. They're like, oh, they're seeing all this stuff and it's like God's speaking every single day. It's, I mean, that's the fun part of life. But as you keep following along in your discipleship of Jesus, that is not a sustainable pace. That's actually not the reality. Most of life is a stall. Most of life is not the rapid exponential growth. It's the time in which God is working inside. The process of waiting is giving you and making you the type of person that can fulfill the promise. A biblical example after biblical example. Joseph 
his stall from the time that he was given the dream to the time that his brothers actually bowed down before him, 22 years. In that 22-year process, it included some growth, put in leadership, it included false accusations, it included jail, it included being forgotten in jail, and then it included actually having the dream fulfilled. 22-year wait. We've already spoken about Abraham, right? He had a 30-year wait from a ish wait of getting a baby. Moses, after exile, he waits 40 years in the desert before the amazing opportunity of seeing God in the burning bush, right? And then Moses, what does he do? In the desert, as afterwards, after God miraculously redeems them, he does the, he bypasses the stall. He strikes the rock, and what happens because he bypassed the stall? He doesn't get to experience the promised land. Because he wasn't willing to wait. David, between the time being anointed as king in his father's house to being enthroned as the king over Israel was a 14-year wait. This included him shepherding in the middle of nowhere, being a mighty man under Saul, being on the run for his life, and then ultimately becoming king. And then we have Jesus himself. So many, right? So many people... Think of Jesus for a second. God himself knowing the plan from the, before the foundations of the world. Scripture says that Jesus was to die on the cross. When God said, let there be life, he knew he was going to become a baby. How, think of the weight. But then think of infinite God becoming finite being, waiting 30 years for his ministry. Waiting that time for him to actually be able to do it. But here's the thing. The process ultimately produces the product. You don't get the product without the process. One of the things that I'm noticing more and more and more in life right now. And maybe as I'm getting older and I'm seeing this, I'm getting to a stage of life where this is more common. That I see a lot of people trying to bypass the process. Not wanting to wait. And this is just to be very, very clear. This is not Brandon and Leanne. I absolutely affirm that. We've had a lot of time to call so don't hear me as like a passive-aggressive attack on Brandon and Leanne. That's not what this is at all. We live in passive-aggressive nation up in the Northwest. I have to be clear on that. That's not, that, they're not who I'm thinking of. But so many people just want to bypass the stall. And it's so tempting. So tempting. But I'm also seeing now there's fewer people who are in their 60s and 70s that have endured the stall and are still faithful and are unbelievable pillars in God's house. I've seen a lot and I've known some that bitterness and lack of joy and you name it, going off the rails. And I'm convinced 
that we need not only collectively, but we need each of us to persevere. Stahl builds our perseverance in Romans 5 and James 1. It says, this is Romans 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, what? Hope. And then James 1, this is talking about suffering, but if we're thinking about the painful type of waiting, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Letting perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm convinced and I truly believe that we have been given a new heart by God in new creation. That old is gone, the new has come. Because and when we profess faith in Jesus, we are given a heart, a new heart. Which means that that new heart in alignment with God has been filled with dreams and desires that he has placed in us. We like to go to that Jeremiah passage, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Yeah, that's speaking of the old self. That's speaking of the old man. That's not speaking of the new man you are in Christ. That's that's speaking of our sinful flesh. Yes and amen. But you and I have been given a new heart in Christ that desires the things that God wants for us. And what is discipleship? Growing as a new man, growing as a new, out of our new identity in Christ, and putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That does not diminish desires. That reforms our desires. You are hardwired by God with specific dreams and desires. You, each of us, we talk about being the body of Christ, the soma of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I sure do hope my kidney wants to be a kidney in order to function well. It's got a good desire. I'm convinced that the church, us in our region, And the world needs you to persevere through the stall so that your dreams become fulfilled. Because I think if each person submitted to Jesus weeds out all the sinful flesh, weeds out all the desires that it or that parasite on the good. And if each of us together helps one another, encourage one another, builds one another up. What will happen is in time, not tomorrow, unfortunately, but in time, the mediocre version of ourselves and us as the church collectively will actually go away and we'll start to see a much more amazing version of the people of God because we endured the stall we allowed God to work in us and then we because we had the right posture 
and we endured through the process, we became a product or a person that can receive God's promise and use it for his glory and our good. And this, and perseverance, waiting, is in the very nature of God. It says this in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. In talking about salvation, this author goes in, uh, Peter, excuse me, starts saying, hey, like God is slow to return so that more people can repent. That slowness that God exhibits himself is what you and I need in order to become the type of people that can go through the process and have the right posture of waiting. And because he is the one that's been, has waited from eternity past. We go to the table to remember that waiting, actually. Redemption happened when his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Ultimate redemption is to come still. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus actually purchased us, his people, as a bride. And the time for that marriage to be consummated, he has been waiting a very long time for. We go to the table to remember God's patience for that fulfillment. I mean, and he knows the good. Like, we can dream about what new heaven and earth, new earth will be like, but he actually knows it. Like, to wait for something that you think is going to be good versus something that you deeply know is good is different. When you know it, I would get more impatient. I'm like, oh, that, I want that now. But Jesus isn't like that. He's slow to act. He's patient. What's the older English translations of patience? Long-suffering. We go to the table to remember God's patience for us. Those moments that we want to push through and that we have pushed through and created Ishmael's in our life, we go to the table to receive God's forgiveness. That his body was uh, broken and his blood was shed to forgive us of that sin against him. But we also go to the table to be encouraged and reminded. Man, he was so patient for us. He was allowed me and awakened my heart in the right time to come to him and to repent of my sins and profess faith in him. I needed his patience to allow me to get to that point. And that same patience he exhibits is at work in each of our lives today. So the question for you as you go to the table is where is God asking you to be patient? Where is God saying, wait? What dream, what desire are you longing to be fulfilled? And when and how is God saying, wait? No, not yet, not yet, slow. His timing's not ours. And 
in the midst of that waiting, you may be waiting in silence, just letting God minister to you. That's beautiful. You may be waiting anxiously and hopeful and working towards it. And you like that, that young energy of excitement that God's going to do something and you're going to take over the world. Or you may be waiting in anguish. I don't know what you go to the table with. But I know all of us in each of those areas need to go to the table to be encouraged by Jesus. To be reminded he's been patient to fulfill his promise so that more will come to know him. Second Peter. And he longs and we need to be reminded of what David says in Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out our heart before him. God is our refuge. So I want to invite you to the table with whatever is in your heart, that you pour it out to him. That you take the time to write a psalm this summer, to read them, to engage them, to give you the language of when the stuff that's being poured out of your heart is a little bit uglier than you want people to see. And we wait. And we sit. We're active. But we trust that God is the one who's going to do what needs to be done.